How can we increase the chances that our audience will truly get what we mean? With clarity. I'm Daphna. Welcome to Let's Clarify It, where we'll explore how to communicate our innovative ideas in ways that lead to the results and impact we set out to achieve. Every day we encounter so many opportunities for meaningful exchanges. Let's make the most of them by being perfectly clear. Elad was just going about his research business, working on his PhD in materials science and chemistry, when his advisor happened to suggest that he check out the new on-campus entrepreneurship accelerator. Little did Elad know that this innocent idea would change the course of his life, evolving his career from researcher to entrepreneur, transforming him into a wonderful researchpreneur. Elad and his team at DriftSense are tackling the challenge faced by so very many farmers worldwide. 75% of the pesticides being sprayed to verify food security through ample yields are lost into our air and soil, leading to the need for larger amounts and more lethal substances. And how is DriftSense seeking to optimize spraying and minimize drift? Through accurately predicting the best time to spray taking into consideration four crucial variables, local meteorological conditions, chemistry of the materials in question, instrumentation of distribution, and regional regulations. Along his journey from academia into entrepreneurship, Elad learned so much about the necessity of clearly communicating his messages and tailoring them to his audiences. From the importance of listening carefully and asking lots of questions in order to ascertain his future customers' true needs, to the need for finding the right everyday examples in order to explain scientific principles concretely to lay audiences. El Adas found that for him, it's been all about starting out simply and establishing common grounds, then adding on the next layer of complexity and depth as per the listener's interest. Join us for episode 20 of Let's Clarify It, in which Elad shares, what is the central implication of not being the customer of one's own platform? Which aspects of research and entrepreneurship are actually very much alike? And why he loves to explain what he does to his wife's grandmother. Curious? Let's clarify it. Good morning, Elad. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. At Murphy Laws, I, I, I just got up with a, a thawing throat so you can hear me. As we talked, um, my voice is now more oriented into a, a Thanos mode from the Avengers, but we'll keep it through. We'll be good. <laughs> I'm so happy to see you. It's been a while. How have you been? How has this crazy year been treating you? I'm good. I'm good. We're, we've been very, very busy and it's good for us, ups and downs, but we're always pushing forward. Family is good. We had a lot of trouble, as you know, here in Israel, both in Corona times, both with uh, missiles throwing at us. But we're good. We're advancing. We try to keep track. We're trying to be very focused on what we do, both uh, in the company and going into many other very important issues, executive investments and so on and so forth. We're good. We're good. Wonderful. You know, Elad, you're absolutely the poster child I think of when I hear the term researchpreneur, because to me, you're absolutely the combination of someone 
who's done three scientific degrees, right? Chemistry and materials engineering, right up to your right, PhD. Right, Congratulations right. on science. finishing everything that you had to do for that, right? You've already been officially awarded your degree. Correct, correct. Thank you so much. It's been almost a year since completion of my PhD in material science, correct? Yep. Thank you so much. And then you took all of that deep scientific knowledge and all of your background in research and living in a lab, and you became an entrepreneur and you're the CEO of a company that you co-founded, right? Correct, correct. How did you make that choice to make that transition from academic scientific to entrepreneurial business? Yes, so I I think that it's always been something, you know, in, in the back of my mind, trying to reach this, this ceiling glass and, and so on and so forth. So one day my, my PI, my PhD advisor, she said, look, there's a, a new entrepreneurial program, uh, entrepreneurship program here in Barla University. You, you should go and check it out. So I went for the first session and then for the second and third one, I met Ariel Sela, which is the managing director of Unbox Ventures, the, the entrepreneurship program. And I just fell in love with it. I think that this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. It's true. I am a scientist. I am a researcher. But deep in my heart, I know that my true passion is becoming an entrepreneur. Amazing. Is your entrepreneurship directly related to your areas of scientific expertise? Yes, quite a bit. Yes. So the company is DriftSense. It's called DriftSense. What we do is we provide the best and most efficient timings for spraying of chemicals in agriculture, pesticides, fertilizers, we mitigate drift, we mitigate loss of materials, and we try to increase, of course, revenues. I'm coming from a background of chemistry, of material science. So during my master's and my PhD, I was researching and exploring the fundamentals of environmental hazards, the development of sensors for environmental hazards. So yes, it's quite related. We are dealing with machine learnings and data analytics. This is a field which I am not an expert in, but Within our team, we do have experts that are developing these kinds of features within our platform. So is the problem that your company, DriftSense, addresses the fact that currently the way pesticide is spread around fields is imprecise and therefore it's too much of these hazardous materials? What exactly is the problem that you're addressing? Correct. So today we know from many, many conversations that we had with growers, with the pest control advisors, certified crop advisors, many stakeholders in all the agriculture segment, the sector, we know that more than 75%, 75% of the materials that are being sprayed, whether it's from a drone, if it's from airplanes, if it's, if it's from uh, on the ground boom sprayers, are actually being lost. They are not hitting the target. It fell between the rods, it goes into our soil and water, it volatilizes and drifts in the air. And we are here to change it. Our motto is science in, hunches out. We're trying to keep it as the most accurate and the most efficient in each and every spring by tailor fitting the most efficient timing for these specific growers, farm owners, and so on and so forth. And in a day and age that I'm guessing that there's all kinds of environmental pushback against using any of these hazardous materials anyway, and maybe looking for more environmentally friendly substances as an alternative, is there a long-term need for what it is that you're supplying? At some point, do you think you're going to change your model because maybe some of these materials are going to stop being used? Are they going to be banned? Where is it going? This is a very good question. It's quite of a long shot. Today, we know that the, I would say the most critical problems are that it takes quite a lot of a time 
to develop new materials that are efficient. So you can name it on, I don't know, maybe five to 10 materials that are being used on, on a wide spectrum worldwide, specifically in the US, which are really having an impact on the pests, right? If it's fungicides, rodent. And I'm not quite sure that we need to change this kind of a model. Worldwide now, scientists and agrochemical companies are really trying to have more I would say greenish materials, more compatible or sustainable materials. I'm not sure how fast we will go there, but even so, we're quite agnostic. We're across border in what we do. So even if you're spraying organic pesticides or and not a system, systemic pesticides, we can help. We know exactly we can fit our technology, our modeling and algorithms specifically for you. Even if the world is going into greenish materials or sustainable organic kinds of pesticides, which are not systemic. We are still here to provide our technology. We're still here to provide the algorithms that we do. We're quite agnostic. So it doesn't matter if you're growing corn or soy or blueberries. We know to tailor fit exactly the timing for being very, very accurate and efficient for you. And this issue of pesticides, it's not just about the corporate money being saved for these companies, this is a question of food security, right? Without the pesticides, there just won't be enough crops and there won't be enough of these core crops in different countries for people to sustain themselves? Correct, correct. We cannot live without these pesticides. 40% of the crops will be diminished if we don't use pesticides. We feed the world using these pesticides. So what we're trying to say is that the winters are getting warmer and shorter. You have this buzzword of the world is warming out and, and we have the climate change and all these critical, I would say, changes that are happening now. But indeed, we need to make sure that if you're being very, very accurate, you won't need to get into your field again and again and again and use these materials. It's not the only problem. The problem is that when you use, I would say, uh, an overdose or an underdose, right? It's like antibiotics and bacteria. So if you go to the doctor and he said, look, you need to take this antibiotics for five days. And if, if you take it for 10 days or two days, you're making yourself, your, your body in a very bad condition. Why? Because these bacteria, as well as exactly an analogy to the type of pest, they will become resistant. And it's a problem. You need to use more harsh materials, more lethal materials, and in an much of a, of a bigger volumes. Wow. So who's the main audience that you're addressing with the Drift Sense message? Who are your target audiences? So our audience are, are growers, farm owners, PCAs and CCAs, which are the pest control advisors and certified crop advisors. The men and women will feed the world. Predominantly in the U.S. market? Correct. We're more focused in California, but also in the Midwest in the United States. And your main message to them is that more precision in usage of these pesticides are a win-win for everybody, for them financially, and for all of our health in terms of using just the right amount, as you just showed us with the analogy to the medication? Correct, correct. We're always saying that this is, again, this is our motto, is, is science in, hunches out, right? We need to provide them, or we the service that we provide is being very, very efficient, on your timing, because everything goes down to the timing. If you're correct on the timing, you know that you will be very accurate. You would mitigate a drift, you would mitigate the loss of your materials, and you will increase your revenues. So as a researchpreneur, Elad, tell me, there must have been a time during this transition from being mainly surrounded by academic audiences of researchers, potentially from your same field and discipline, 
who speak the same chemical and material science languages as you do, and you shifted to speaking to all different audiences in the greater business sphere about your professional messages. Can you think of a time that you were misunderstood, that you thought you were being perfectly clear, but your audience didn't get it? Of course. Yeah. So exactly as, as you mentioned, so when we first started, we didn't know exactly right how to concentrate, how to tell people the the most important value proposition that we could give. We were quite lost in this uh, new audience that we need to speak to. So in, in many cases, you know, the, the conversation went on and on and you start losing focus. We didn't get to the center, to, to the main proposition or to the main value proposition that we wish to, to deliver. So at the end of the day, by the time we got to focus on what we know how, what to do, let's say we, we focused on the technology too much and not about the messages that we want people to understand. By the time we got to this part in the call, they already have been finished. And it doesn't matter who of the stakeholder it was, right? If it's potential customers, if it's executives in, in agrochemical companies and so on and so forth. And at the other end, can you think of a time that you actually felt like you succeeded in being very clear and that clarity served you very well? Yes, I think that the most important word here is simplicity. So when, when simplicity is shown, specifically when you show people the platform or you use an interface, more people are intrigued to ask more questions, right? And you, you get their attention. You get them to want to be one of the individuals that experience your user interface. Another very important issue here is the most optimized on your user experience, even more than your platform, right? So you have billions maybe of types of designs and buttons and, and features, but you need your user to take a look at a platform, which is exactly what he wants to see in it. It needs to be very lean, not complicated. You don't want him to think for a second about which button he needs to push first, right? You want him to be very focused on the kind of feature or kind of control that he wishes to do within your platform. So would you say that that's also the importance of clarity in your specific field when you're speaking to a group of farmers or a group of pest control professionals? What could they misunderstand potentially about what you're explaining to them? Yes. So we're, we're trying not to talk about the technology too much. So alongside of me, we have Dr. Ron Shaouli, which is our, co- our co-founder. He's an expert in environmental regulation. And we have Dr. Pavel Kunin. He's an expert in numerical weather prediction, meteorology, and we all have the background needed, right, to keep this venture going and develop the technology at once. So we're trying not to speak too much about the technology, but if the growers ask what are the fields of our expertise, how exactly this type of technology is working, so we're getting a bit into it, but not too much. We're trying to keep it on a, on a very high level, a zoomed out level, and trying to understand why what we do is so important to integrate between things, integrate between the parameters that affect their springs. So if not technology, what do you actually do in these conversations? Do you walk them through the user interface? Here's how you would use this product. Is it an app? Can you walk us through it? How would a farmer use this product? Yes, so it is an app. It's a user interface. We are a SaaS company. I call it a TAS, right? Timing as a service company. In the beginning of our conversation, I'm asking them about their problems. One thing that I learned is to listen, I would say. To be here in order to listen and understand exactly what are their problems. When you give people the opportunity to spill their hearts and really listen to what they need and not trying to convey them on the things that you're trying to develop, 
They're surfacing all the problems that they have, what keeps them up at night. So when we talk to them, first we listen, and then we ask the right questions about what they just told us, and we listen some more. And then if they wish, we do. We show them a demo or we show them part of the features within our platform. And we always ask for a feedback, even if it's quite finished up prototype or whatever it may be. We're always happy to make changes that our customers or potential customers will feel that they could really use what they need within the platform and not just it to be some fancy app. Have you made any significant changes and pivots to the product and to the company further to input that you received from potential customers about what they need, which is maybe different from what you thought originally? Of course. So what we did first was a customer validation. It's a very important phase in which we talked to, I think, I don't know if hundreds, but more than 150 stakeholders and potential customers within the U.S., uh, specifically in the specialty crops field. And we ask them, what do you like about the platform? What do you dislike about the platform? What feature you think that you could use in the platform? And, and many, many other uh, questions that we, we needed to understand what they want to see within our platform. It's always the question of, we're not the customers of our own platform, right? So we always wanted to understand what they want. And indeed, we learned a lot. We made quite a few small pivots within the platform to give the features that they want to see within it. And ultimately, the end result of a user of this platform would be to receive an alert that morning on their phone. Okay, tomorrow will be a great day, according to the prediction of your local meteorologist forecast. Tomorrow will be a great day for you to spray this type of pesticide in your cornfields. It's that level of precision. Very, very precise. Obviously, you know, because you have kids. Do you know Jenga, the Brick Tower Kids game? Sure. Think of this tower as an analogy or a metaphor to the spring. So everyone knows that the bottom bricks are the most important ones, right? I always like to explain this. So you have these four bricks or parameters, so to speak, at the bottom, which are meteorology, chemistry of these materials and how they act within specific meteorology or atmospheric conditions. You have the instrumentation, right? Are you spraying from a drone, from an airplane, from a boom spray, and the regulations, the label. People don't understand that if you take one of these bricks out, the tower will collapse. You cannot just say, hey, it looks like the wind is quite low in velocity, or it's quite sunny outside, or it will not rain, and you would be accurate on your spray, right? You can also not say, okay, I know the meteorology, and I'm spraying from a drone, and that's it. No, you need to implement all of these parameters together to tailor fit the timing. And within the platform, this is what we do. So there's a lot of features that we understood from our potential customers that they want to see. They have alerts. They have alerts about drift. They can get, and of course, that the main flow is getting the very specific timings for them on a plot resolution, on an hourly resolution when to spray. And one of the key features, I would say, that all of these timings are within their constraints. So if a farmer's daughter is getting married right on Wednesday and he cannot spray on the same day, or he need to get out of town on a Friday and he could not spray, we are fitting the exact timing specifically for him or her. So they can block into their calendar. Yes, I'd like a recommendation for the optimal time to spray my field, except there are these availability windows and not these. Correct, correct. It's an integrative feature that they can set the time, that they can get alerts, they can share it with other team members and so on and so forth. Correct. Fantastic. Is it already deployed with a couple of clients? 
Not yet. It's still under stealth mode, but soon to be, soon to be. We have a few consents for pilots in the U.S. with the medium and large farms and growers. I'm very excited for this. It is exciting. Good luck. That's fantastic. Tell me something, Elad, and maybe this dates back to your academic years more than the entrepreneurship. What would you say is one of the most complicated things you've ever tried to explain to someone else? Indeed, it relates to my years in the academia. So I was teaching students here in Barland's chemistry department when I was a teaching assistant. And my background is in material science, physical chemistry, And when I teach them, these undergrads, I always try to make things very simple, right? To deliver in a very simplified manner. And it's quite hard. So what I understood is during the times when I teach for, I think, starting from my second year, first year was quite challenging because I did understand fully the things that I am delivering to these students. So I think starting from maybe second semester or the first year, or the second year is that if you give daily life, you know, real life examples, it's much easier. So trying to explain about optics and chemistry and electromagnetic radiation, light matter interactions, if you take a very simplified daily life example, it's quite easy. So think about trying to couple light, right? Trying to integrate a light source into some kind of nano antennas, so to speak, micro or nano antennas on a kind of a substrate, I don't know, a metallic substrate. It's quite, it's quite uh, hard to understand, but I always tell my students that when you're at the kindergarten or, or being a kid and you try to push your friend within a swing, right, in, in a kindergarten or, or a garden. So you never push it from, from the y-axis or, or from the head, right? It's always from the back or from the front. This is just a simple example of how I'm trying to deliver a message being very simple and from a kid's life about the very complicated methodologies and theories in physical chemistry. Swings and Jenga blocks because you have a young son and you spend a lot of time <laughs> playing games and on parks, I suspect. You got me. I missed it. I missed it. Mine are all teenagers and up and they're cynical and they don't really play with me anymore. So I'm actually envious (laughs) that you get to that you get to play on parks and and build with Jenga blocks. Super fun. And on that note, I actually agree with you totally that using real life examples, I certainly with you and your colleagues use a lot of analogies and metaphors in order to simplify scientific procedures that we're trying to explain together to some sort of lay yet super intelligent audience. Do you find that you use all kinds of, and and during your research years, did you find additional metaphors and analogies? What is it like? What What is your work like? What is this procedure similar to? What is the interaction between these materials like? Yes. So indeed you can, I think that all the theories, even going back to 200, 300 years back, they, they've been always been very, very explained in a simplified manner, right? If, even if you're going from classic physics into quantum mechanics, you always try to be on a very simplified manner, going from the basics. If you're trying to understand ballistics and mechanics, so you're always going from very confined, a very ideal kind of interaction between things, right? So even if it's a spring or very ideal ball in quantum physics to understand electrons and the movement of subatomic particles, when we have theories, right, we're we're an experimental scientist. So we're always having some kind of hypothesis in the laboratory. And even in the company, we're trying to understand things based on science and trying to understand these things are, are not quite simple. So if you're simplifying things and you're 
segmented into very, I would say, micromanagement, micro problems, eventually at the end of the day, it's much easier to understand the whole picture than trying to you know, dive in straight into the most complicated things. Totally. What would you say is different about the types of communications challenges that you faced when you were predominantly in academia versus the type of challenges that you faced communicating in a business arena and entrepreneurship? What's different? It's very different. It's, it's two type of worlds. Fortunately, when I speak to some stakeholders and I had a chance to speak to some stakeholders, either if it's investors or ex-scientists that are now in the, in the uh, business, uh, um, business sector or other entrepreneurs. So some understand about the technology, but we're, again, we're trying to keep it in a, in a high level. When you're talking to scientists, when you're talking to individuals in academia, so you, 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 you have a common ground, right? I'm a scientist. You have a common ground and you can speak of many things within science-oriented conversation. But within the business sector, it's quite hard. But at the end of the day, one year and a half, two years into this entrepreneurial way, you're learning a lot of things. So you're trying to deliver your messages in a more general-oriented, so to speak, delivery system, right? So you're not talking about Electron, you're not talking about atmospheric conditions or, or turbulence, but you're trying to speak of meteorology. You're, you're trying to speak about how materials volatilize in, in a very simplified manner. So indeed, it's, it's quite hard to overlap between these two very different worlds of business and academia. But one thing overlaps, one thing is the same, I must say, is being an entrepreneur is quite the same as being a scientist. So you have an idea and you try to nurture it, you're trying to understand what are the problems, you have an hypothesis, and you go outside, you're talking to people, right? This is what we've been taught in Unbox here. You're talking to people, you're validating ideas. You're not coming out of this box with a solution. Your solution may or may not be worthless, right? So you need to understand what are the real problems people are having, what keeps people up at night. One thing that is very, very common is the way you're doing things as a scientist. It's the same way what you do is being an entrepreneur. I had suspected those similarities and those parallels, and that's precisely why those are the two audiences that I love working with the most, researchers and entrepreneurs. I, too, see that similarity. Tell me something. When you were saying before that when you speak among scientists, you find it easier because you can speak as a scientist to another scientist. Is that the case even when you're speaking to colleagues of a totally different discipline? No, it is not the case. So when you're a scientist, there's a lot of disciplines and there's a lot of sub-disciplines within, within science, right? It's so broad, even in chemistry. So you have organic chemistry, you have physical chemistry, you have theoretical chemistry. When you're speaking with scientists from, I would say, other fields, you're starting simple. So you're trying to explain in a very broad manner what you do. And then you get on a common ground with the other scientist or other entrepreneur, or other whatever he may be, and you're trying to dive in together. So you're trying to deliver a message or a thing that you do. If it's being very simplified, the other side can understand. You go deeper and deeper until you find, until you find it difficult to go on. It's still easier being on the same level of understanding and delivering the message when you're starting slow, when you're starting very in a very lean manner. Totally. Do you have a role model? Is there someone who comes to mind, either from the scientific world or entrepreneurship or someone you've encountered in person or that you've seen online that you think, whoa, that's a person who is a communicator of great clarity? 
I think that my mentor here in Unbox Ventures, the managing director, Ariel, every time I speak to him, he has a, a classy way to deliver things, right? He can explain it in a very simplified, in a very lean manner, but still it delivers. You, you get it inside the back of your mind and the way he could deliver things, the way he understands and the, delivers the message is very, very good. I'm always trying to understand how he's doing it, what's the secret sauce here, but there's still much to learn. It's fantastic. I agree. Yeah, he is a fabulous communicator. And I think he's also the one, he's certainly the one I first heard the term researchpreneur from, which I have wholeheartedly adopted <laughs> <laughs> and perpetuated Correct. because I too love working with people who go from science to entrepreneurship. Fantastic. What's your favorite kind of communication if you have the choice? I think my favorite kind, obviously, is face-to-face -face communication. I think that you can read people. You can actually take a look on their, not just the head and up or zooming in. Corona taught us otherwise, right? So indeed, the world has got on the nanoscale, a very a global village, so to speak, right? So you can have conversation from one edge of the world to one entrepreneur or other stakeholder in a matter of seconds. But my favorite one is definitely face-to-face. -face. I miss it. We're trying to keep track on face-to-face -face meetings with the team and other kinds of meetings that we try to set, but definitely face-to-face. -face. But even so, and I agree with you, and I love face-to-face, -face, and I'm missing meeting people, and I'm glad that in Israel things are really opening up and we're now able to meet again, and hopefully wishing yes. everyone around the world soon in safety and health. Would you say that what Corona has taught us is to maybe be a little bit more specific about when something justifies our in-person time? Does our in-person time now come with more of a premium? Do you think twice whether to get in your car and go to a different city in Israel for a meeting if you could actually hop on your computer from the comfort of your lab or your office and just hop on a Zoom with them for half an hour versus getting in your car, spending the time and the gas and the parking to spend an hour getting somewhere to sit with them physically for that half hour? Absolutely, yes. I do think that it's much easier Zooming. It's much easier not to dress up, not to hop in my car and start looking for parking, especially in the rush hours. And I do think it's quite of a premium as in face-to-face -face because eventually you need to understand how much meeting is important to you, right? Not just important. You need to understand if, if it's the right way to meet people face-to-face. -face. Sometimes you don't have a doubt. You know that you need to go in and mingle out and need to do the networking and the meetings. But eventually, indeed, the first thought comes into mind is, Hey, I need to dress up. I need to get out of my car. Sometimes it's a babysitter. Sometimes that, that's a lot of things that you need to think of before going out of the house. Definitely. Right, right. I want to be totally respectful of your time. Maybe just in conclusion, two more questions. What's the biggest communication challenge that you feel like you've ever succeeded in overcoming? I think that <laughs> trying to deliver to my family the exact things that we're doing. So if, even if it's my mom, my wife's grandmother, or my dad, or my brother, whomever it may be. So it's quite complicated. And until I got on the right path of delivering in, you know, the elevator pitch, right? In 30 seconds or one, or one minute, it was quite challenging. So at the end of the day, I think that many, many iterations and talking to people is uh, uh, done a better better job for me to, to deliver. And so at the end of the day, it was quite hard for them to understand. But eventually they know. Every time I ask them, it's like a pop quiz. Hey, you know what I do at Drift Sense? Go on. And they do. They know. They remember. Not of fear, but they actually understand. 
<laughs> and are they good examples to practice on for your target audience? Is that something that you would recommend to others who are practicing sharing their message? Should they first share it with people who are close to them, who are intelligent, but not at all from their field? Is that a good litmus test, speaking of analogies, for whether somebody is going to get it? Yes, indeed. So, so they're not from the field at all. And I do try to make them understand it. If what I explain to them is in a click, they get it so they can further on deliver the message to other people. So it's quite good. I'm trying my best. It's going pretty well. And indeed, they're the audience that I'm trying to practice on. It depends on whom you're meeting with, but if I can deliver it to them and they could further on deliver it to other individuals, I think it's a bingo. For sure. Okay, so great. What communication tip have you received that has served you well that you would recommend to somebody else who's either entering entrepreneurship or just in general seeking to have more clarity of message and be more effective with their audience? I think that the best tip I received, it might sound as a cliche, but it's not. It's actually not. It's is to listen, right? To listen to individuals, to be very empathetic to to have empathy for, for potential customers and in general. So if you listen and then you listen more carefully and you ask the right questions, at the end of the day, you really learn about the real needs of these people, about what keeps them up at night, how you as an entrepreneur can really understand how to fit your solution for their problems. Fantastic. Elad, thank you so much for spending the time with me today. I know I enjoyed the conversation. I'm sure our listeners will too. And wishing you and DriftSense best of success with your important work. And I hope that even as a researchpreneur, you still have time for lots of Jenga games with your son. <laughs> yes, Dafa, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me this morning. Always happy to talk to you. I learned so much from you. And again, thank you from the bottom of my heart. I learned from you. Thanks, Elad. Take care. Hoping to see you in person soon. Thanks for being here with us on Let's Clarify It. I hope you found it helpful. If there are specific topics you'd love to hear covered or you'd like help clarifying your own message, I'd be delighted to hear from you. Feel free to reach out to me on letsclarify.it. In the meantime, be sure to take good care and clarify your messages to amplify your impact.